This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today, those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige, and engineering. First. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Hello and welcome to the world's best construction podcast. We are back in your ears or your sound system device or in your car. We're back with you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back in our respective bases. Luke is back in Essex. I'm back in Surrey. And Liam is all the way back in Sydney. How's the journey, mate? Good, mate. Good. I uh, arrived 24 hours ago, actually. Got back last night. All good. As good as a uh, 22-hour flight can be i do have a question though for you guys what happens to human beings at the barrage baggage carousel at airports like <laughs> honestly what, what happens I, I you go there you, I, I get there i'm i'm like okay cool i'm gonna stand two or three meters back you know i'm gonna create some space so people can stand next to me we can all see the carousel you can walk forward and grab it you know as more people come next minute there's a, there's a guy standing on like right next to you then there's someone right in front of you, and then the whole area is crowded. And you're no longer you don't you no longer have a view of the bags. You're like pushed back four or five meters. You got people walking into you with trolleys, mate. I don't know what happens. It, it happens in every country as well. People's manners just go out the window. Anyway, I wanted to <laughs> share that little that little moment. So you had, to, <laughs> you both. You had a good experience. I had a good experience. Yeah, I had a great flight. Cool flight, sweet. Watch some movies. Great. I was in a good mood. Breeze through customs um, in, in London and Sydney. And then, you know, sweet. I'm like, oh, okay, waiting patient for my bag. Some guy's standing on my foot. Someone's walking into me with a trolley. I was like, all right, my good mood's gone. <laughs> I I had a mate um, who tweeted out the other day that he saw Christopher Nolan at a baggage claim, the film director, the oh, other right. day. That's Did good, he have it? good manners while he was there? <laughs> I I I, d- I didn't I did not ask, but I assume he was on best behaviour. Yeah, you know, he's probably got someone waiting for his bags, doesn't he? <laughs> when I arrived in Helsinki, a big old crowd gathered around the baggage claim. <laughs> People took their bags, and then that crowd slowly dissipated. Time went by, the baggage carousel stopped moving and was turned off. I looked around, thinking, <laughs> um, "Where's my bag?" And that's when I got screwed by thin air. <laughs> So, if you wait long enough, guys, and your bag don't turn up, that crowd dissipates. And by the way, if you're listening, Finn, if I still had no response, I'm going to get you on this podcast. Please, some kind of compensation or acknowledgement or apology. Thanks. Mate, that, that's you not should happening. chase it up, that, mate. Chase it up. It makes me laugh so much. I could just imagine how sad and annoyed you look when you're by yourself and the carousel's been switched off. <laughs> you just There's no one around to help you. <laughs> 
it was a movie there'd be some like little violin music starts playing just walks away starts raining but do do you guys you guys are the same as me right you you go there with intentions you know you want to create spaces there's no need to crowd there's no need to stand a foot away from the the carousel right like we're all on the same page yeah they have a line on the floor as well no no one listens to the line that really annoys me people just go over the line and grab the bags and yeah yeah. Also, why is it when the plane lands, as soon as the seatbelt sign goes off, everyone oh. stands on and grabs the bags? Oh, man. I've never been one of those people. I've never yeah. been one of those people. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Are I you agree. one of those people, Liam? No, mate. If I am in the aisle, I will get up, but I'm like, I purposely wait. And I'm like, I'm going to wait like 20, 30 seconds. So I'm not like rushing into it. Like, you, you hear that <laughs> seatbelt seat sound, and then you just hear these clicks, right? And everyone's like, oh, I'm going to grab my bag, I'm going to grab my bag. Yeah, I wait, I wait 20 to 30 seconds. One thing I do worry about, though, is getting onto a plane and not having anywhere to put my bag above me because I've had a couple of flights where they put it above you. You go to put it above you, and I'm like, oh, there's people that aren't even sitting here, and the bags are here, but there's no people. So then I have to give it to the air hostess, and she's like, oh, yeah, I've got a spot right down the back. She's like, just just let me know when we land. So then you have to wait for everyone to board, offload the plane, and you just, this is, yeah. Not ideal. Yeah, my uh, my case on the way back from DC was put in the business class compartment. Oh, that's and, all right. Uh, that's, at least it's in yeah, front of you. I had to ask someone to. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't too bad. But um, I made the most of that. I'd be like, right, just need to go get something from my bag, and I'd have a little nosy. <laughs> I'd breathe in the air, and I'd be like, so this is what it's like, eh? This is what it's like. This is the life. So, yeah, mate. One day. One day. Um, and also get construction talking, lads. I was going to say, obviously, thank you for swinging it back yeah, onto no. the construction topic. It's been a big week, guys. It's been a big, yeah. big week. We launched Get Construction Talking last Wednesday. I have to say, it was awesome. I've never seen, well, I've never felt something we've done on the B1M cut through and impact people quite as directly as this. You know, I've, the event was incredible. The, the kind of, the emotional energy there, the amount of questions we had, the engagement from people, the turnout was absolutely incredible. The place was packed. And the comments on YouTube under those videos, like people you know, unanimously saying that it was the right thing to do, which is really important for me to hear because I wasn't sure it was the right thing to do. I was pretty scared about it. Um, you know, people saying that this is the intervention they needed. They're going to go and get some counseling now. Thank you for giving me hope, you know. It, it's it's really really humbled me it's been mm-hmm. an amazing week and to see that i mean i mean i'm exhausted we've done a lot of stuff in the last week we coordinated a video physical event podcast tube ad campaign website launch all around one thing so i'm pretty pretty broken from that to be quite honest but <laughs> but the impact and the reaction is is incredible and yeah it was great to have you guys all there in one place and it was a yeah it was a, just an incredible night incredible night no it's huge mate it was huge. And I told you this at our little work evening that we had last week as well, like outing together, team outing. Um, you know, I really am proud of you, mate. And I'm proud of the B1M team of like what we were able to accomplish on that Wednesday. You know, it was packed out. Loads of people visited from across the industry, as well as people watch the channel and listen to the podcast. Um, I had a few guys come up to me. I, 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 was, sit- I was standing there talking to Kurt. And this young gentleman, blonde gentleman, called Rory, yeah, pokes his head into our conversation. He goes, sorry, are you, um, are you Luke from the podcast? I go, yes, I am. Yes, I am, Rory. Come in for a cuddle. And um, it was surreal, mate. 
it, it was well maybe not the cuddle but it was surreal it was it was really good <laughs> so yeah there was a few people that like i met who listened to the show it's really good some shout out rory lucas and raj um but even when we were welcoming people into the building you know there were people like oh yeah i recognize your voice listen to the show so did you have any witnesses to this yeah <laughs> <laughs> ian yeah ian and kurt so mm-hmm. take that for what it's worth just uh, just rewinding, hang on a minute, on old Rory, because he said to me, I'm not going to let him get away with this. He said to me, I co- I've come up to them, they said, oh, we're podcast listeners. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you much for listening. He's like, yeah, yeah, all three of your listeners are standing right here. <laughs> Cheeky little. <laughs> what a lad. What a lad. Thanks for your bant, Rory. We should, we should get him on. Get him on. Yeah, get him on, mate. <laughs> I told him, leave a voicemail. Leave yeah, a voicemail. roast him. Live on the podcast. <laughs> no, it was superb though, mate. It was absolutely superb. Huge accomplishment for the channel. Yeah, no, awesome night. I'm really, really proud of it. And as I said, guys, uh, Get Construction Talking is now live. The website is live over at getconstructiontalking.org. You can donate. We've already got thousands of dollars coming in, which is absolutely incredible. It's all going to help construction's established mental health charities. We want to try and lift them up and help them uh, really provide better support and more support more widely across the industry, which is going to be fantastic. The video series is out on YouTube. It's called Uncovering Construction's Biggest Killer. You can go and watch that two-part video series now. There's also a podcast. We've got shoe bads running across London Underground, raising awareness of construction mental health to both the industry and the general public. Uh, and it's all out there. It's available to go and see, to benefit from. We've got a list of uh, supporters on the website. We've got support resources on the website, a uh, place you can go to get support around this issue. Anything you can do to help us raise awareness of mental health and construction and help move the dial is much appreciated. So go and check it out. That is getconstructiontalking.org. We're going to keep plugging it on this podcast because it's a really important issue that's close to my heart and we're going to keep momentum going on it. So yeah, thanks to everyone who came last week, who's watched the videos, who's commented, who's messaged me and who's donated so far. We massively, massively appreciate it. Coming up this week, we've got a pretty good episode for you. A bit bit of a Canada focus on this episode this week we're talking about canada's 30 billion dollar gamble to become an energy superpower a video that came out on the b1m yesterday we're also looking at a snowdrift inspired building in arctic canada in the far north of the country ai tennis courts set in a saudi arabian cave which look absolutely incredible and the whole thing as ever is sprinkled with some of your comments from the week and plenty of banter let's go First this week, we are talking about Canada's $30 billion gamble to become an energy superpower. This is a video that came out on the B1M yesterday. And in this video, we are heading up to Kitty Mats, which is a very small town in northwest Canada. I couldn't tell you where this was on the map before I researched this, but basically, it's a long way above Vancouver on the west coast, nearly on the west coast of Canada. It's a little bit inland, almost where the country borders Alaska. So it's quite a long way up the west coast. There's a bit of Alaska that kind of creeps down the side of Canada, so it's not as far up as Alaska, Maine. But anyway, that's that's roughly where we are. Google it, guys. Kitty Matt. That is where Canada is building a $30 billion new liquefied natural gas, or LNG, plant, uh, which is very exciting. It's, it's very big and impressive and sprawling. Obviously, natural gas uh, is, is a fossil fuel. It's not a great thing to be celebrating right now. And Canada is supposedly a world leader in renewable energy, but I didn't realize this. It's also one of the world's biggest producers of natural gas, particularly in this area, which is called the Montney Basin. However, 
unlike the US, Qatar and Australia, it doesn't have very many ways of exporting its gas overseas. So it tends to get used for domestic supply. It's now trying to change that. It's trying to get into this world where many countries are importing energy, importing electricity and importing fossil fuels to try and uh, you know run their countries. So it's trying to get into that market. Uh, there's no local demand for this amount of energy near Kitty Mat, so it's being exported overseas, which we're going to come on to. This is where liquefied bit, the liquefied bit of the natural gas comes in. Um, but as you probably gathered, the timing of all this is where the gamble is, because they're spending a lot of money, 30 billion American dollars, that's about 40 billion Canadian dollars, on building a new liquefied natural gas plants when the world is kind of rapidly transitioning to more sustainable forms of energy. What do you guys make of this on headline terms? Looking on a map, you realize how huge Canada is, right? Canada's second largest country in the world. It's incredibly resource rich, but only some of it is inhabitable, isn't it, right? So you kind of have an issue where like, I, you could imagine how much has been like undiscovered in Canada just because of how vast and how large it is. Um I get I I get the project and I understand the ambition here but I've got a lot of thoughts on this Fred. I have a lot of thoughts on this and I think some of it is with what you've just said is that Canada is this kind of for a lot of things it is this poster child of you know society right and it's not perfect but in some ways I think it's seen as a bit like you know the Scandinavia or even Australia and New Zealand you know it's seen to the rest of the world as these kind of like um, utopias when it comes to maybe policies on environment or politics and social welfare and yet in reality it's kind of a something a little bit different I understand you know it's there the natural gas is there but it, it's contrary to the image that Canada wants to kind of give out to the rest of the world do you know what I mean by that and and I get it you know but mm, I don't know mate and I think it is a gamble I think it's a huge gamble um, the only the only country I could see being a huge customer to 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 this project is like China. China. Funny you say that they are the biggest yeah. customer that's going to be receiving. Uh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. obvious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Natural gas exported from this. I, yeah, definitely. I think that's it's the same as Japan. I think um, Australia. I don't. I don't. I don't actually know this. Um, I knew there's a lot of um, natural gas here, but Australia is one of the largest exporters of natural gas, and I believe that. Two of the biggest markets, China and Japan. So I assume, um, yeah, like you said, Fred, they're going to be sending it there, which is pretty interesting. I actually thought gas would be super cheap moving from London back to Australia, knowing that. Um, but unfortunately, it's not. I think Australia has like some of the highest gas prices because they <laughs> privatized it all and, and exported it all. So I'm wondering if if this would be similar for for Canada. Obviously, um, yeah. It's it's an it's an interest, interesting situation, isn't it? Yeah, and it's strange, isn't it? Because there's there's this big gap between the rhetoric that you get from you know these countries yeah. when they go to the UN or they go to the the COP climate conferences or they stand up and talk about climate change and their actual actions and behaviours. And it feels like with something like this, you know, thirty billion dollars is being spent. I I don't dispute the the business case. You know, there is money to be made here. There's money to be made from companies exporting their energy to other places, but it feels like they've put the money-making bit in front of the bit where we need to save the planet. And I, th- I, th- I say this in a week where yeah, there's, a, there's, there's these pictures of the globe at the minute where there's a massive heat dome over 
the southwest United States, you know, temperatures of 50 degrees C there. Europe is in the high 40s. Most of Europe's in the high 40s and people being like baked alive. China's recorded 52 degrees Celsius. You know, the world, when you look at the map, is bright red and on fire. And we've had these hot temperatures year after year after year. Yet we're still going ahead with this this fossil fuel burning stuff, you know, in, in enormous quantities in some countries. Um, I think that there, I get, you know, there's been this conversation around a lot of the developed world has had its growth and its economic growth and boom through the industrial revolution and it used fossil fuels and you know all sorts of other polluting uh processes to to get big and get successful and there's this sort of argument from countries like india and china that it's our turn now it's our turn to have our own economic boom and use fossil Mm. fuels to do it and we'll we'll become sustainable more down the road but the the time is now to act on this and it doesn't feel like governments are they're talking the talk but they're not walking the walk right right and that's the point that i was getting at with the whole like the canadian image and canada does have a good image to the rest of the world that's a really good image um but it's nice to be doing a project on 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 canada mate talking about a project that's in canada we don't do that all the time and it made Absolutely. me think of you got you guys know do you, you guys ever watch south park yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know the you know the people in South Park that have their their faces like really badly animated. You know, like the cartoon in South Park, that, right? That Whenever uncles? their faces are like divided and their mouths just go up and yeah, down, yeah. like you know, like the cu- like what? Isn't yeah, it like um, you know who I'm talking? About. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, means what's they- their name, mate. <laughs> Terence and Terence and Philip, I think. Where is this going? Yeah. Is this another monkey herpes story? <laughs> I've seen the songs, right? Yeah, I know that. I basically, know basically, if if they have that face where it's not properly animated like that, it means they're Canadian. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> in, in South Park. Um, but also, uh, I th- I was only I was reading this the other day. Sorry, sorry. Was that was that South Park anecdote? Was just basically you offending Canada. That's- yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I I only learned that not long ago. I mean, I'm not even a big like South Park watch, but everyone knows you don't have to watch it regularly to know about like the you know the faces that are like he's still going, he's still going. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. I was like, that's still, so he's still still digging, still digging. I love it. It's genius. I'd love to go to Canada. It's going to be natural gas soon. <laughs> Wait, I spun yeah. it back to the video. Topic. Mate, thirty. They got they got just over thirty eight million people in Canada, right? And you you think there's more people in California than there is in Canada? That's crazy. That's wild. So this is if this does work though, that's like that's going to be a big deal for their economy, isn't it? Well, like, this is a lot of money to be pumping into a gamble. I don't know. I, I think it's risky. I think it's too risky. I mean, they've, they've probably done the business case and worked out how fast they can make that 30, 40 billion back, right? Yeah, you'd imagine so, yeah. Mm. But it is an impressive site. We're going to come on to the construction story, but just going back to the, the business case, and yes, there is an economic benefit, but this is the country that's currently bat- battling forest fires as a result of climate change and has great swathes of its landmass in the Arctic Circle. Like, Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Anyway, anyway, sorry. I just, there's a disconnect between what we're talking about with climate change and people's actions. 
Anyway, let's talk about the process of liquefied natural gas, because I know you're buzzing to find out about that. I can just feel you wanting to learn more about this process. So the gas first arrives at the big Kitty Mat site. This massive construction site we're talking about where they're building this liquefied natural gas plant is in Kitty Mat. The gas first arrives there uh, from the Montney Basin via this new 670 kilometer pipeline that runs all the way from the source up in Dawson Creek. Uh, that's actually the place. There's actually a place called Dawson Creek. We make a little joke about that in the video with a bit of a bit of a reference to the old TV show. Anyway, to send gas to another country or continent, they can't just build a pipeline uh, under the ocean or through the ocean to get there. They use oil tankers. They're not oil tankers. They're gas tankers. But they look like the big container ships, big tanker ships you see on the ocean. To make it safe for transporting, and so they can fit as much of it as possible on board, the gas is converted into a liquid. It's then shipped over uh, on these huge tankers and then turned back into a gas at the other end, which is pretty interesting. The vast majority of this, as we said, is leaving the west coast of Canada and going across the Pacific over to Japan, South Korea, uh, China. Basically, the Asian market is where most of it's going. The European market is much further away and much harder to reach uh, from the west coast of Canada. It's also a market where there's current demand for uh, there's a there's an energy deficit largely because of the the war in Ukraine. So there is uh, more demand for fossil fuels in Europe at the moment, but it's not a long term thing. Basically, Europe is kind of probably one of the furthest ahead continents in transitioning to. Uh, greener renewable technologies so they're focusing this on uh, shipping stuff over the pacific ocean right over to asia a bit about the construction story so in the video you're going to see that there's this enormous enormous site which is kind of set into this very beautiful landscape in canada it's kind of this big old scar on the landscape i guess but it does look pretty cool so i love a construction site and i love a mountainous impressive forest landscape so the two things have come together in my mind it reminded me of switzerland quite a bit uh, so there's these huge cages covered in pipes. I mean, these cages are enormous. They are 35 meters tall and weigh over 4,500 tons. They are the process modules that basically, uh, they've acted as the entry point for gas coming in from the pipeline from up in Dawson's Creek. Uh, they are huge structures. I so said these things are like, when you look at them on this site, they're like these huge cage-like buildings. As I said, 35 meters tall, enormous great things. They were manufactured in China and then transported over on ships. And then to get them from the site, they were put on these incredible uh, large transporter trucks and like carefully, like a whole building was carefully driven up this specially made road and then lowered uh, into place on these building foundations where they're going to be sitting. I, that that for me is a huge part of this video. It was awesome just seeing that as mm. from an engineering perspective, mm. how they make something that big, move it across an ocean, and then drive it up a road and put it into place was, uh, yeah, astonishing. Another big thing that stands out is these. Uh, there's a massive, massive tank where the gas is stored before it's piped onto the ships. So uh, it's an enormous, enormous structure, 52 meters high, 92 meters in diameter. It's one of the biggest of its kind anywhere in the world. And it has this enormous domed roof that was lifted into place very slowly using air pressure so they built they built the kind of walls of this uh container this this tank they built the roof on the floor and then they put pressurized air into the space between the floor and the roof uh, and then gradually used that to lift the roof up and into place over the course of three hours 
When it was in position at the top, they then welded it into place and the air pressure inside was returned to normal. That alone, for me, is an incredible feat of engineering. We've got footage of that happening in the video. This thing is like, it's like, well, I'm not, probably not this big, but it's like Madison Square Garden, Royal Albert Hall. It's an enormous, great circular building, uh, which is just a gas storage tank. So, yeah, pretty incredible stuff. Uh, whole site is now around 70% complete. So the drone footage, the aerial footage we've got in this video is, it just looks incredible. There's just stuff being built everywhere. It's a huge, huge site. And the whole thing is due to come online in the mid 2020s. So yeah, as from a wow. construction perspective, I like it. Wow. No, the, from, from a construction perspective, it is like, it, it is very impressive. Very, very impressive. The whole project is incredible. Um, and yeah, what what they're doing, like the, the the I think the size, the structures of everything, it's really um, the video really puts that into perspective. But um, I I do have another question, right? And this is about the geography of of everything, right? Because we keep talking about Asia, that seems obvious, right? I don't know if I've missed something or if I'm being thick. Why aren't they selling to like the US or Mexico? That's a good question. So the US has its own liquefied natural gas systems, I believe. And I believe they already do some... Canada already sells to the US from other sites. So I think they are selling to the US, but I think from this site... They want to tap into a new market or something. Yeah, I think the the big prize for them is the ridiculous amounts being consumed and bought by China, Japan, South Korea. Because in especially China, they're still using coal aren't they mm. as and i went to the have you ever been to the black country living museum in the west midlands can't say i have no right no, mate. mate this place is this place is crazy this place is absolutely crazy so it's like it's like a um, it's a living museum. So you go there. There's actual an old mine there. There's like these houses. There's a high street there, and there's actors that are acting like they're from certain periods. And as you walk through the museum, there are people in, from different like decades and centuries and stuff. And of course, in that part of England, it was all like coal mines, right? Like back in the day. And we went into this like mine, and we did a tour. We did this whole experience. And it really made me realize, like, wow, I am so thankful that I don't live in an age where I'm being sent to the mines as a kid to do this as as a, as a job. Because that's what would happen if you grew up in, like, the 1800s in that area. You're working class. That's where you were sent. Um, but it makes you realize how dangerous getting something oh, yeah. like coal is. And also just how... It, it felt it felt primitive. It felt like wow, we you know aren't we really ahead of this? And it's like no, in a lot of places, coal is still a go-to resource for energy. And so uh, you make this point in the video, Fred, that although it's not ideal for some places, this is still greener and a step up from something that's really dirty like coal, right? Yeah, it's 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 diet coke. It's less bad, but it's still not great for you. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, and even then, is it is it less bad with the diet coke? I don't know. I, what's what's in aspartame's in diet coke? Isn't it? Is that what everyone's been talking about at the moment? Yeah, the um, they think it's uh, what's the word for it? it? Causes cancer. There's a word for 
I mean, you, yeah. You, Whoa, we, allegedly. You do the, sorry, just think allegedly. Yes, yeah, sorry. Kind of for a legal team <laughs> joining us on this podcast, allegedly, see, allegedly see causes cancer. See if it's the same, mate. You get like a. I think we did this at school. You put. Uh, do you guys have chopper chops in England? The lollipops. Yeah, the lollipops. Do you call them something weird? The chopper chops. I think it's called. Do you have that brand? Yeah, 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 yeah. We got that yeah. brand. Yeah, we we you put like, call them um, lollipops as well. We don't they do door them. locks as well. Oh well, yeah, but lollipops That's in chop. general. Sorry, this is a brand. Oh, was that fair? Oh, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little just, lag, mate. Just crack looks on. Like, looks like I'm not missing anything. You put the lollipop in a cup of coke, right? <laughs> and you wait like 24 hours, and it shows you put that as opposed to like water, and you know it shows how much the coke eats away at it. You put it, do that with diet coke, Luke. If you're really interested, which you seem like you are, mate. All right, mate. I'll do that. I'll do that straight after this podcast. Great. <laughs> after this what? podcast, I'll go get a chubba chub and uh, some Diet Coke and a normal Coke. Yeah, definitely. With with what you're saying, though, about how... Um, the digressions yeah. on this podcast. Oh. <laughs> the segues are great. But what you're saying about the coal and things like that, how archaic and stuff like that, it, it is pretty interesting when you look at humans can now extract gas from the earth, liquefy it, transport it and then turn it back into gas like it's pretty crazy if you look at the the advancements of civilization in that sense isn't mm-hmm. it you know you no longer got a headlamp down a coal mine you know with your pickaxe <laughs> looking for coal oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah no it's definitely it's it's crazy impressive crazy and this is all this is all in a relatively in the grand scheme of things it's all in a quite a short space of time you know of being here and figuring all of this stuff out yeah should say for balance uh, there are people who are unhappy about this so uh first nations which is the aboriginal people of the montney basin are concerned about the impacts of oil drilling and forestry on their hunting and fishing rights there are um some ongoing issues there there's been some uh stuff where they rerouted pipelines they've made changes to the design and that is increasing the cost of gas supply a bit as well because this project ended up being a bit more expensive than they originally planned. I think it's gone from six billion Canadian dollars to fourteen billion Canadian dollars. Um, who'd have thought it, guys? The first ever uh, big infrastructure project going going over budget. Um, I think <laughs> the timing for this, as we said, is interesting. Uh, the world needs to be moving away from this type of uh, energy supply, quite frankly. Uh, but there's money to be made, so Canada's spending a lot of money on building this uh, with the hope they can make some money and enter what is a very competitive market for LNG uh, before the market kind of finally ramps down and disappears in the years ahead. Mm. Um, it's kind of it, for me, it goes back to the, the kind of age-old question with these massive mega projects, which is whether or not they're worth the costs, both financially and environmentally. You know, whether it's worth the the huge hit financially and the inevitable environmental impact that comes to the local area from building them kind of remains to be seen i think that's that's the answer to that is deferred down the decades a bit but mm. hey from a construction perspective it looks cool it's going to kill the planet but hey <laughs> looks nice <laughs> let us know what you think about this one guys obviously a pretty interesting project both from a construction perspective but also from a uh impact and timing perspective should canada be doing this what do you think get your comments coming in podcast at the b1m.com also in the news this week we are staying in canada but heading over to the other side of the country actually to the far north of the country to arctic canada 
uh, and to a town called I'm going to get this wrong, Iqualit. Iqualit. That's pretty good. People, you reckon? Mm. Mm. I Q A L U I T. Anyway, it's in. Uh, I'm going to get this wrong as well. Nunavut, which is a yeah. district of Canada. Nunavut. Man. Yeah. Six yeah. percent. <laughs> Six out of ten from Liam. Thanks for that, mate. <laughs> Uh, if you're from Canada or from this part of Canada, please email in. Tell me where I went wrong. But anyway, uh, there is a snowdrift-inspired building which is going to become the new uh, Nuvenut Inuit Heritage Centre. I really like this building. This is designed by uh, Dorte Mandrup. The structure is going to be partly set into the ground in this remote town in the far north of the country. It's not quite in the Arctic Circle. It's like a stone's throw from the Arctic Circle. It's getting on that way. It's very cold. The place is covered in snow most of the year. Um, but a really nice cultural building celebrating Inuit heritage. Facility is going to house exhibition spaces alongside an outdoor area for showcasing traditional Inuit practices. Uh, its goal is to promote awareness of Inuit culture and preserve and celebrate Inuit heritage. Uh, it's also going to support and develop relations between Inuit and non-Inuit communities, which I think is a you know, the intent behind this project is really, really nice. What I really like, though, is its form, the way it's kind of subtly set into the landscape. Part of it is set into the ground. It looks like a snow drift coming out of the ground. You've got these incredible uh, sort of full-height glass curtain walling uh, going around the bit that protrudes from the ground, offering up these incredible views out across the landscape. Uh, it looks incredible. You've got pictures of it with the northern lights. You've got pictures of it set in the snow. There's some timber in the interior design. I really, really like this. It's a very nice building. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, looks good, I think. And the comments reflect that too. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with everything you just said, Fred. I think it looks beautiful. I think the way that it's just sort of coming out of the landscape it just looks so subtle and like native, you know what I mean? It, it's just yeah, the the merging the two just looks. They've done it really well, I think. Um, I love the timber as well. I think it's nice and light interior. Yeah, looks great. What do you what are your thoughts, Luke? Yeah, I think this is outstanding. Maybe one of the um, one maybe one of the best pieces we've ever reviewed on the podcast. I think. Oh yeah. It is outstandingly gorgeous. Um, the interior, the exterior, the way it looks organic, just looks like it belongs, like it's been there for hundreds of years. Um, the use of materials, it, it's it's absolutely stunning. And I love when um, architecture lends itself really well to nature, especially the surrounding nature, um, in this case, in, in this remote part of Canada. Oh, mate, it is, it is absolutely phenomenal. 10 out of 10, oh, I think. Is I it think gorgeous? It's, pre- it's pretty much, yeah, of course it is, mate. I think it's, I think it's pretty much flawless. I oh. think as, when it, as design is concerned, I think it's flawless. So hopefully it does its job as a structure and as a building for, you know, the um, Inuit people and heritage. So, yeah, lots of yeah. comments reflecting this as well. So, a chap called Ashley saying, that's such a beautiful building. I love how it blends into the ground as well. Uh, another chap called Ryan saying, architects, take note. This is how you do a modern building that is both striking and respectful of its environments. Um, mm. Completely agree with Ryan on that. 
Ryan got 70 likes for that comment, and he only has 200 followers. So uh, Ryan's having a good week. He's definitely benefited from this post. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, was saying spectacular, money well spent. Uh, this is absolutely gorgeous, someone said, trying to get a shout out on the podcast. Oh. Lots of uh, positive emojis. Yeah, it's gone down well. It's pretty unanimously positive, this building. So, yeah, we like that one. That's our last piece of Canada this week, guys. We're now heading over to... Saudi Arabia, for a bit of a different story, uh, this is not a real project, right? But this is AI, AI architecture striking again, right? So uh, Nora Design Co. has used AI to imagine tennis courts set within the ancient Saudi Arabian city of Al-Ula. Again, I probably got that wrong, but I think it's Al-Ula. Um, a very famous kind of cave uh, city in the desert, ancient city. Uh, and they've yeah incredible they've put these kind of tennis court designs inside the caves it looks absolutely beautiful um lots of questions coming up about where people would sit and what the spectators would be or how you'd light it and obviously they're technical questions we know we, we get that we understand that there is space around it for for seating it's an ai generated design uh but as terms of a bit of like ai architecture candy this is like a, a fun one this week just to add on the end of the episode i think it's pretty cool I adore this, Fred. I absolutely adore this. It looks like uh, tennis courts on Tatooine, mate. Um, <laughs> it looks like it's from a galaxy far, far away. Um, I think it's absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, outstanding. Um, yeah, I, it's amazing. Would it be really hot? Yes. Is it a little bit impractical? Maybe. People saying about where to sit, like sit. There's there's loads of structures nearby that you could, you know, sit down on and watch tennis if you wanted. <laughs> I just think I think look if you just use a bit of like imagination, I think this looks absolutely phenomenal, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. So yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of this. Does it mean it's going to happen in in you know in reality? Obviously not, but it's a bit of fun. I think it's really cool. I, I really don't understand. The, the, there's a few negative comments in there about it. It's clearly an AI design, and it is just a bit of fun. I think it looks really, really cool. Um, just the the whole yeah. rocks, the caves, you know, the old buildings in the background. Um, obviously, it's not a real render. Um, I just, it's a bit of fun. I think mm. It looks cool. I mean, and if they did have a game there, I'd go watch it. If they had some uh, seats edged into the <laughs> side of the court, I'd go watch it. I imagine that it'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah, this is like you say, it's an AI architecture. There's there's so much AI architecture out there at the minute. There are whole accounts dedicated to it. There are whole mainstream architecture publisher accounts that are sharing it left, right, and center all the time and running courses on how to do it. It's just it's just a bit of imagination. It's just an interesting. Uh, you know, quirky design that's come out from the AI architecture space. But yeah, some of the comments of people going, whoever made this is, uh, who's this from? I can't remember. Alejandro saying, whoever made this clearly has no clue about tennis. So dark <laughs> and the acoustics would be a nightmare. Not to mention, what's up with the lines? The courts are literally all drawn wrong. <laughs> uh, someone else, a few, uh, few comments down. I haven't got a name here, just, just a number. Um, but he says, guys, calm down. It's just AI design done by a digital designer. Laugh out loud. So, yeah, I think everyone just needs to calm down a bit. So, mm. and it, loads of people, it's like, oh, Saudi, oh, rah, 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 rah. It's like, guys, have you A, not listened to the podcast? And B, have you not watched our Saudi videos? Like, we clearly 
approached Saudi Arabia with a balanced perspective. But we aren't like, we are not shilling by any means at all. We're very honest no. and we critique. I met someone at the event actually who was saying, uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm I'm working on Neom. And when the new mm. teams come in, when new recruits come in, we show them your Neom video to get them up to speed on what the product is, what it's about and the scale of it. And I'm like, really? Because there's quite oh. some stuff in there that's like talking about the labor practices and the environmental impact and questioning whether any of it's ever going to be built. So yeah, I mean, look, I've I've, I've uh, replied to comments about this before online. Look, it's Saudi Arabia is uh, the, the Saudi Arabia construction story and how they're using construction projects to change their PR narrative and grow their economy, despite some of the negative things they're doing, uh, is one of the most interesting and defining construction stories of our time. You may not like it, but we can't not cover it. It's a huge thing that's happening. We need to talk about it. We're covering it in a balanced way. So. Yeah, back away from your keyboards and uh, sit down. <laughs> yeah, spot on, mate. Spot on. Have you seen like how many footballers are going to the Saudi league as well? Oh, Messi. Messi's taken loads of money from Saudi. Messi, David, Messi's David gone to ten million from Qatar. Messi's gone to Miami, mate. Now, Is but he? like, yeah, yeah, he's gone to David Beckham's football team, oh. actually which is uh, Miami. Um, but yeah, loads, loads of footballers, mostly footballers who are on the out, yeah, who are maybe going toward retirement. They're, lo- they're getting paid a fortune to go. And I'm pretty sure it's the government, just like allegedly. <laughs> I need to get my facts <laughs> right on this, but I'm pretty sure my understanding is the government pays for it and the players basically like get to choose what club they go to. I need to do some fact checking on that, but yeah, there are loads of players going there at the moment, but it's all very new. Let's see if all of this stuff, the football league, the, the structures, the tourism is there in like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years time. Let's see. It's that time. We are sliding over to the DMs. What you got for us, Luke? Mate, we've got an email all the way from Belgium. Uh, this is from uh, Mikkel Van Rompuy, or Michael Van Rompuy, who says, Hey guys, just listen to the Saudi Arabia episode. And just like Luke, I had too many thoughts and wanted to share something. As an engineer and a skier, I can't help but wonder where the hell they're going to get the tremendous amount of water required for their resort. Uh, I, I, this is about the, what's it called? The the Winter Olympic venue. Trojina, right? yeah. That's it. He Asian goes Winter s- Games, sorry. Asian Winter Games, not Olympics, just, just for balance. It. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Good lad. He says the uh, the artificial lake is huge and supplying 36 kilometers of slopes with fake snow in desert conditions require as much water as energy. Plus, they're in a desert. There is no water. Um, anyway, Oxgen definitely looks like the most realistic, useful and feasible project of the bunch. Uh, excited to see that unfold. Cheers again for the great show, uh, Mikkel. Um, Fred. I believe you might be able to answer this. Is that right, mate? Yeah. So the the ski resort in the desert is it is in the desert. It's about fifty or sixty kilometers inland, and it's several thousand meters above sea level uh, in the desert mountains. And it does get snow during the winter months. So they're not they're not fabricating or, or making their own snow. Uh, they are using natural snow that falls in those mountains during the winter months, and then during the summer. 
uh, they're, it's like a dry ski slope thing, I believe. There aren't, there aren't many details on that. They say it's an all-round ski resort, and there's some renders that show the ski slopes as sort of yellow desert track, not snow. I think because it's some sort of sand-based dry ski slope. I don't know enough about it. There isn't enough out there about it. Uh, but that's where the snow thing is. So they're not like they're not engineering huge volumes of snow to create a a fake. Uh, ski resort there is actual natural snow in these mountains uh during the winter months the lake i believe obviously there's that incredible sort of uh triangular shaped uh inverted wall they're building across the end of a valley i believe that is being flooded by stopping a river so it's like a big dam basically they're creating a huge dam at the end of a valley they're letting the river build up behind it classic dam reservoir type design and that's where that massive lake is coming from which they are then using, they're harnessing that water uh, to use in the resort, is my understanding. So it's not wow. quite as... And Saudi Arabia and Neon themselves have put some sort of FAQs out about this and they're sort of challenging people to look deeper and dig more into this project and you know don't, don't dismiss it out of hand because there is actually quite a bit of thought behind it. Albeit, they say that, they then haven't released that much information on how it's practically going to work. So that's what I know so far. Good answer, mate. There you you go. There you go, Mikhail. Uh, Thanks for the email, though, guys. Much appreciated. And um, hopefully we'll get some more emails through next week. Yeah. Get Rory and his mates emailing in. (laughs) The whole three listeners. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love that. Not going to forget that, Rory, mate. What a legend. Yeah, get your emails coming in, guys. Get your comments and feedback coming on this episode. Uh, we want your reviews as well. Keep those five-star reviews coming in on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. They're much appreciated. And also, as I said at the beginning, we are doing a lot of work at the moment to raise awareness and try and tackle construction's mental health crisis. Get Construction Talking is now live. Getconstructiontalking.org is where you can get resources, videos, podcasts, uh, links to support, uh, and you can also donate as well. As I said, we're trying to raise $1 million for construction's established mental health charities. They're already a fantastic number of donations coming in. We massively, massively appreciate that. But it will uh, go on and make a difference. So that's getconstructiontalking.org is the website. And then getconstructiontalking.org forward slash donate is where you can go and donate. Any donation of any value would be much appreciated, whether it's $5 or $50 million gazillion dollars everything helps and would be much appreciated so yeah go and check it out love that mate positive message positive message absolutely after all the, the stuff we've chatted about on this podcast after you've offended <laughs> offended Canada and equated them to South Park for some reason but anyway it's, it's all good <laughs> guys please keep listening please keep tuning in we're looking forward to being back in your ears again next week and yeah we'll see you around Yeah, all good, mate. Hang on. There is just uh, there's a metal man outside. A what? A metal man? <laughs> yeah, you a know, the guys are about ringing. So you know, the guys that go out like ringing the bells. For what? <laughs> they go and, and you go give them your scrap metal. Scrap metal, yeah. We yeah, moved it's just in. Dro- it's just drove past my gaff. No, so when we moved in, we did our bathroom up, and I, it's like five years ago now. But the little towel radiator, the old towel radiator, I put it on the on the front of my house. And went upstairs. I literally, I'm not kidding. Within ten minutes, it was gone. Scrap metal yeah. people are just like they're like magpies. Mm. Yeah, they love it, mate. They love it. Where my missus used to live in uh, Handsworth, right in Birmingham, 
proper rough bit of Birmingham. <laughs> they would go shoot shoots at anything, anything you want. It wouldn't be metal men, anything you want to get rid of. You'd just leave it outside your house. And like five <laughs> minutes later, it'd be swiped like someone would nick it. Wow. Oh, mate. Oh, the olden days, so it should be. <laughs> <laughs> right, good to go. Yeah, good, mate.